Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Wednesday, December the 27th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, after a short two-day hiatus, we take an early sneak peek into the 2018 offseason, examining the four areas the Dolphins can improve on in order to get back to the postseason in 2018. Also, I'll update you on Miami's draft position, as well as introduce a new name that should be very high on the Dolphins shortlist come April. And we compare Ryan Tannehill to Jimmy Garoppolo. I know how much you guys want to hear me talk more Ryan Tannehill, so we'll get to all of that and much more. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Tuned In, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a five-star rating. Write us a nice little review. Helps the podcast get out to more doll fans. Helps it continue to grow. You guys know the drill by now. You can follow me on Twitter, at WingfieldNFL. We're not going to do the game gifs this week. I didn't see much of a point. I got too much stuff going on with the holiday. You can follow the show at Locked on Fins. You can check out LockedOnDolphins.com with all of our new writers coming up, as well as next week. Next week's exit interview series, I'm going to have a column up every single day for the next two weeks talking about each position, player by player, what they can do to get themselves in good standing in 2018. And of course, don't forget the other Locked On Sports podcasts, including the Locked On NFL podcast and Locked On Heat podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. So today's episode is going to be a bit of a mix and mash because I didn't really know which format to follow considering the fact that the Dolphins are officially eliminated from the playoffs at 6-9. and nine. Been a very tough year. Not a lot of fun in terms of the offense and the production. The games haven't had a lot of entertainment value outside of the, I would say, the Atlanta game, the Jets game, the opener against the Chargers, and the win against the Patriots. And I guess the, the, the Broncos game as well. We're really the only really enjoyable games. The rest were bad losses or the, or the win over the Titans that was just kind of boring, barely beating Matt Castle and the Tennessee Titans back in October. But I just don't feel the need to really get into this week and, and talk about next week too much. I think the Dolphins are probably going to lose to the Buffalo Bills in the final game of the season to fall to 6-10, and 10, bringing Adam Gaze's career coaching record to 16-16, and 16, be 11-5 and five at home, 5-11 and 11 on the road. So there's your areas you can get better in right there on the road. And talking about things the Dolphins can get better in, I wrote up a nice little list on a message board the other day, thefins.com, talking about how the Dolphins can improve and get themselves right back into good standing and not just be a team that can maybe, you know, be the Buffalo Bills or Tennessee Titans, one of these eight and seven teams that just isn't that good trying to sneak into the playoffs and end some kind of drought or, or get themselves in the position where they can get beat by 25 points in the playoffs. Not really that interested in doing that anymore. I do agree that we should be a little bit thankful in terms of getting to the playoffs because that's something the Dolphins haven't done a whole lot of, but I have bigger aspirations. I have bigger fish to fry with this organization. I think that they can get to that point. So what are some moves the Dolphins can make to not only get themselves back into playoff contention, but also get themselves in a position to challenge the Patriots and the rest of the AFC and maybe get back to a Super Bowl for the first time in my lifetime since 1984. So as we examine some of the things that cause the Dolphins to fall to 6-10, and 10, or I guess we're 6-9, and nine, I should stop assuming that, that we are already at 6-10, and 10, but some of the things that caused the fall in play this year and the, the lack of wins and the, and the, the drop in record, 
I know that there are weaknesses on the football team you have to address. And don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted in the sense that the Dolphins have the pieces in place right now to go in a championship. They do not. They have to make some moves and make some changes. And they have to make good changes, obviously. But in the NFL, the difference between 6-10 and 10 and 10-6 and six can be the couple a couple of bounces of the football. So not to say a cop-out and say that all the mistakes are just flukes, but how many easily correctable mistakes has this team made in 2017? I mean, you look at the two fumbled by receivers in the game on Sunday. You look at the non-safety call on Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Bucks so many weeks ago. And then you just have the basic bad mistakes by the quarterback who's not going to be back next year. So to me, you've got four things you can do to get this team back in position. And the first one is an in-house domestic fix. It's going to happen organically. No change necessary. It's just going to be replacing Jay Cutler's production with Ryan Tannehill's production going back to last year. And you look at how many games that Jay Cutler had that were just atrocious. I mean, he has three games where his ratings are like some of the top 10 rated games across the NFL landscape in terms of every quarterback's individual game rating. He had three of them that were like really good near the top, but he also had seven that were near the bottom. At seven games where the quarterback basically doesn't give you a chance to win the football game. In the NFL, we all know that the quarterback is how you live and die unless you're one of those very, very few complete teams that really there isn't even more than one every year in the NFL. You're lucky to have one in the NFL every year. So the best way to compete, obviously, is to have a good quarterback. And making that big upgrade at quarterback will make all the difference. And it's really hard to overcome those terrible rating games. And Jay Cutler had just far too many of those. Too many inconsistencies. Too many games where he turned it over too much. Too many games where he just didn't feel like he really even wanted to be out there at all. So you go back to Ryan Tannehill's run last year where he was more consistent and played at the same level throughout the course of most of the games except for that one hiccup against the Baltimore Ravens, which, you know, it's a tough defense. It's a tough place to play, a place the Dolphins have always had problems in. But that first thing is you replace Jay Cutler with Ryan Tannehill and you're already on the good path to being back into the postseason. Change number two is adding more speed and versatility to the defense, particularly in the back seven. What I mean by versatility is guys that can match up. The Dolphins had a really big problem with the Chiefs on Sunday and matching up against guys that are, let's face it, they're matchup problems for most of the league, and that's tough to deal with. Travis Kelsey is what he is for a reason. Tyreek Hill is what he is for a reason. Kareem Hunt is having the rookie year that he is having for a reason, but you have to try to at least mitigate some of this and find guys that can match up with those guys throughout the course of the season, different games you play, different types of matchups you're going to find. We talked about how Xavier and Howard matched up with Demarius Thomas very well. Well, then he goes out and plays pretty good against Brandon Cooks, or I should say phenomenally against Brandon Cooks, but you can't rely on one guy just being able to match every single type of person you get. So you have to have this versatility in the back end that you can rotate through and mix and match and you can, that you can coach with. Coaches have to have pieces to use to implement their schemes. And I think that this coaching staff is going to be fine. I think that they have a lot of growing pains that they've had to learn from this year. And that includes Matt Burke as well as Adam Gaze. And one of those things is kind of self-scouting and finding out who you got to put on the field in the right time. And I don't think that the scheme is necessarily the, the cause of the problems this year. I think it's finding the right players for those schemes. I think that last year you had a lot of, like I mentioned, kind of fluky things that happened that helped the Dolphins get to 10 wins and go ahead and get into the postseason. And those haven't happened this year. And you have a lot of these situations where the scheme is kind of right and then the play breaks down, the execution is not there. I've talked about it at you know ad nauseum with Jay Cutler in the offense. The defense has been the same thing with the linebacker play. You get Lawrence Timmons over here. He's supposed to be kind of like a 
you know, the, the key cog to the remake of the defense, it has not worked out. He, he played a good uh, first few five or six games, but after that, it's been a really steep decline. Kiko Alonso has fallen completely off of a cliff. So you have these two guys that Dolphins are relying on in the middle of that defense where teams can attack you with Travis Kelsey or even if Rob Gronkowski was healthy. Guys that can be really big matchup problems in that area of the field, and the Dolphins are severely lacking in that department. So you got to add more speed and more versatility and just keep on putting bodies back there because you can't just throw out seven guys at your three linebacker spots and your four DB spots or two linebackers and five DBs depending on the particular package on the field at that time. You have to give yourself versatility and the ability to go ahead and rotate guys in and out. This is not 2001 anymore where you have 11 guys on defense and 11 guys on offense and that's the only guys that play throughout the course of the game. It is a matchup business. It is a matchup league and you have to be able to match that. And talking about the draft, like I promised you guys off the top of the show, I'm going to go ahead and insert that nugget right here into this piece. Key point number two for the Dolphins, quick rebuild and turnaround and talking about adding more speed and versatility to the defense. One guy that I had a chance to study a little bit today and throughout the course of the break is Roquan Smith from Georgia. He has been talked about amongst Dolphins Twitter and Dolphins fans alike. And just talking about the kind of speed that he adds. And I watched some of his tape, a game against Auburn as well as Notre Dame today in Georgia's two of Georgia's bigger games this year. And he... It just explodes when he makes a decision he's going to go somewhere. There's not a lot of false steps there. He can spy running backs and quarterbacks. He can recognize when the court, when the running back's going to stay in for pass pro or going to leak out for a pass, uh, a pass route, I should say. He's pretty instinctive in coverage. I saw one where he took a drive concept where the first guy passes through. A drive concept is where you have one guy basically removes a linebacker with a crossing route and the other guy goes either higher or lower or across the same line and replaces that vacancy filled by the linebacker. If you guys can understand what I'm saying without me being able to visually show you. But I saw a play where they ran a drive concept at him, tried to displace him, and he kind of keeps his hands wide like he's like a like a basketball defender almost, kind of playing in a, in a triple threat position where he's down on his knees and in his crouch. But he's also keying the quarterback seeing if he's going to run. And at the same, on the one play, he cuts down two routes of a drive concept as well as a quarterback run. So instinctive in coverage. Like I said, that first step can really add a lot of speed to the defense. So I think Roquan Smith has to be one of the guys that you look at with the Dolphins' first round draft pick. And we'll get to that here more later. And speaking of the draft, I'm going to go a little bit different route on you guys talking about draft. That is, of course, draft.com for fantasy football fans. Listen up. It is not too late to join the 500,000 people that have already downloaded draft this season. That is the draft.com app. You get to play in real live snake draft, but you're done in under five minutes and they last for just one week. So you can join one right now for week 17, the final week of the season. And the best part is you play for cold, hard cash. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. Just use promo code LONFL. That's for Locked On NFL. That's right. Play a real money game for free just by using the promo code LONFL. And it gets even better. Draft is so sure that you will love it. They're even offering Locked On Dolphins listeners a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search draft in your app store or go to draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code LONFL. That's Locked On NFL. This is the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield. We're going to get back to the four components to turn this team around for next year. And we'll do that right here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Locked On Dolphins podcast, Travis Wingfield at Wingfield NFL. Point number three for the Dolphins getting it turned around in 2018. That's involving Jakeem Grant and that creative playbook even better in 2018. We started to see it more here in December towards the end of the season and getting Jakeem Grant on those fake end arounds, those fake jet sweeps, using the whip route to the outside, using him on the screen game where he broke a tackle and had an awesome touchdown catch, showing the flash play ability with the big speed, the elusive runner, the diminutive type of 
punt returning type of skills he has as a receiver. Get him more involved. Get these misdirection plays going. I think that once Ryan Tannehill gets back, you can do that a lot more. He is a much more polished play action slash slash naked bootleg slash throw on the run type of quarterback than Jay Cutler was or is or ever will be. And I think that really helps them get those kind of misdirection plays going when you can move the quarterback along to go against the grain of what the motion was. So involving Jakeem Grant more and just kind of having a more creative playbook that we saw in the Patriots game and even flashes of that of the Chiefs game will help the Dolphins offense a long way towards getting back to being a more respectable offense. And then point number four is finding a way to get better production in the red zone and particularly on the ground. I think what you have to do in order to get that is to find yourself a versatile tight end that can do both in the running game and the passing game. That's a tall order to find someone like that. Those guys don't grow on trees, but the Dolphins pass the ball at a greater rate in the red zone than anybody else in the NFL, which needs to change. Their run blocking has not been good down there. Their running game has not been good down there. Just two rushing touchdowns on the season, not going to get it done by any stretch of the imagination. And it's what's crazy to me is the Dolphins go into the last two training camps and Adam Gaze's offense, this three-by-one offense they use so often where you have the tight end on the one side of the formation, the trips receivers on the other side of the formation, and that sets up that tight end. I've talked about it a million times with you guys. Sets up that tight end for a good one-on-one matchup with a linebacker, maybe even a safety. And they go into the last two training camps with Jordan Cameron and Julius Thomas, two guys that are useless blockers, two guys that are injury prone to the max, two guys that move like old the old men that they are. It's just, I don't understand it. That's been the one biggest puzzling thing I've had with Adam Gates is his implementation of the tight ends into this offense and the guys that he brought in to, or I guess Jordan Cameron was already here, but the guys that he had around to make that tight end position work. So it's just so strange to me that they didn't make, you know, address that point further. Obviously, like I said, it's going to be hard to find. You have a couple of tight ends in this draft class that might be able to help you with that. But getting a guy on the end that can block and and also do what Travis Kelsey did to Rashad Jones on that red zone touchdown catch in the Kansas City game. So replace Cutler with Tannehill, the production that he gives you, I should say. Add more speed and versatility to the defense, particularly in the back seven. Involve Jakeem Grant and that creative playbook more. And then number four, find a way to get better production in the red zone, particularly on the ground. And number four, obviously the most ambiguous, but I think it's something you can aggressively attack in the offseason and make it happen. So I just don't think that the jump from six and 10 back to 10 and six or even 11 and five is that crazy. I think you can button it up in one offseason. I think you can make a couple of changes that get you there and you can make it happen. So not all doom and gloom on this podcast or on this episode. I am going to be talking about this kind of stuff all offseason. We're going to encompass it throughout the course of the entire spring and summer, as well as the remainder of winter. This will be your guys' home for all offseason Dolphin stuff. I'm going to dive into every single avenue I can on this team. We're not going to have games to talk about anymore. So this will be my first time doing this podcast for you guys daily, talking about the offseason, but I'm looking very much forward to it and kind of giving you guys a more optimistic view rather than this just... They were 6-10, and 10. they're a bad team, they suck, doom and gloom that the beat writers like to give you. So just kind of keep an eye on my little bit more upbeat attitude and just kind of thinking about how this 2017 season was more of a fluke than I think it was a sign of things to come. So to continue on the positive note, the optimistic note for the Miami Dolphins 2018 season hopes as we close out 2017 here with one more game. We have just five days left of Jay Cutler, five days left of this disastrous 2017 season. I posted a rather controversial tweet Over the weekend, I believe it was on Christmas Eve, I posted it out talking about comparing Jimmy Garoppolo to Ryan Tannehill, and it got quite a bit of a stir from, you know, the divisive lightning rod that Ryan Tannehill has been. And, you know, we all know about Jimmy Garoppolo, and everyone has just become enamored with this young guy. And I've always loved Jimmy Garoppolo. I thought he was awesome out of Eastern Illinois. I was bummed out when he got drafted by the Patriots because I wanted to watch him succeed somewhere. So I'm really happy he's playing so well for the 49ers. 
But listen to this. Over the course of those four games that he's played, the 49ers are 4-0. His passer rating is 99.1. Pretty good. He obviously will start his fifth game on Sunday to close out the season, and the Niners will go into the offseason thinking they have a franchise quarterback. Couldn't be more thrilled. But if you look at Ryan Tannehill's last five games of 2016 before the injury, his passer rating was 103.4. And the pushback I've gotten from that argument is saying, well, you just haven't watched the games. You haven't seen what he's done. I Trust me, I've watched it. I watched every single second of Jimmy Garoppolo's senior bowl tape back when he got drafted. I know how good his feet are. I know how great his ability to throw from different platforms is. But did you not watch the San Diego game when Ryan Tannehill played? Because I can point to you four specific plays where Ryan Tannehill showed different types of elite traits in that game. The play where he broke a tackle from Melvin Ingram on a sack and proceeds to get like 20 yards on a run where he breaks like three tackles, that's elite stuff. The play where he hangs in the pocket and gets shot, gets, takes a shot under his chin strap and throws a dime to Devontae Parker on the sideline, that's an elite play. The pass to Kenny Steals where he takes another shot to the head and throws an absolute P-Rod, dime, or rainmaker, whatever you want to call it, into the end zone for Kenny Stills for a touchdown, that's elite. The play where he slips a tackle on like a third and long and chucks one up to Devontae Parker who hauls it in and of course it got called back by a hold but that's an elite play from the quarterback so you watch these different things he's done the kind of putting together the entire scope of his game and playing the way he can when he gets on he is on he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when he's on and I just want to see what this team can do by building a solid team around him when you have guys like Case Keenum or Nick Foles you have these guys that are traditionally not good quarterbacks having success with these teams that are well-rounded around them. So I want to see what a good quarterback can do and Ryan Tannehill with a good team around him. And someone asked me about Ryan Tannehill and this offense and dating back the history of this offense and this team over the last couple of years. And so I wrote out a little bit of a story on a message board once again. I'm going to go ahead and read from that for you guys here and talk about kind of the course of Ryan Tannehill's career from 2012 to now. And the question that was asked to me was talking about Tannehill's ability to maneuver in the pocket and avoid the rush and kind of the liability he has been in the pocket. And what I said to the, the question was, you know, I've been looking at some of the older games and trying to see where he's made the improvements or what the adjustments are that he's made to his game. And from watching those earlier games, my indication was that he has every bit of the ability to evade a single rusher. But when those blitzes come and they destroy the pass protection, he's a sitting duck. Most guys are. Not all pressures are created equal, and I've shown multiple instances on Twitter or wherever you want to find it where he can sidestep minimal pressure and make a play, and that was just three games into his rookie season. So I have those gifs on Twitter right now. You can go find them on my timeline right now. And that 2012 team that I'm referencing to, they were really, really bad at wide receiver. Their passing offense basically had three options. One, Brian Hartline on something to the perimeter, whether it was a go, a comeback, a back shoulder, or a hitch, particularly against off coverage with no safety help. And a lot of those throws were contested where Tannehill had to really squeeze it in there. Number two, Devon Best when teams were in three deep looks or any coverage that opened up the middle underneath part of the defense. This gave Bess a one-on-one, and the truth is that there are maybe five humans on the planet that can play slot corner in these situations effectively with regularity. And Bess had really good suddenness to his game, so he could win these matchups pretty easily. And then number three was Anthony Fasano on some type of quick hitter, whether it was a hitch, a speed out, or a dump. And the O-line, so the receivers weren't very good, but the O-line was pretty damn good. Jake Long was still decent. Richie Incognito was very good. Mike Pouncey was awesome. John Jerry was okay. And then right tackle was a mess. But You get the point. Their offensive line had four very capable players on it. And then you have the progression of the offensive line from there that just went downhill for Ryan Tannehill. Jake Long breaks down. Left tackle is a huge problem. Richie Incognito gets booted out of the league or off the team, I should say, because John Morton, John Martin can't handle the NFL and what it's supposed to be. Mike Pouncey starts racking up all these injuries. Miami puts a boatload of cash into the wide receiver position to try to get that part fixed while the O-line's deteriorating, and they bought some really bad players. Mike Wallace, Brian Hartline, Brandon Gibson making over $20 million a year combined. Look back how crazy is that 
And then Reggie Bush goes. The running game falls apart. Now with Daniel Thomas and a young Lamar Miller. The O-line is garbage. The wide receivers, mediocre. The quarterback can only will his team to victory so many times in this instance. Would Brady have led some of those teams to 10 wins and to the postseason? Yeah, probably. Would Rodgers? Sure. But if that's our expectation, we're going to spend our entire life looking for that guy. Those guys do not grow on trees. It's a complete lucky thing when it happens. And just be thankful that you have a quarterback right now that can get the job done. Then Miami goes on the draft Jarvis Landry. They sign Kenny Stills. They turn into a running back producing a machine with Jar- uh, with uh, Jay Ajayi and Kenyon Drake. The O-line is better than the random combinations featuring guys like Sam Brenner, Tyson Claybo, Darren College. The list goes on and on and on. Joe Philbin gets axed. A competent coach gets hired. Six teams into the new Adam Gaze tenure. Things start to click for the offense. The quarterback still has all those traits. He's better prepared. He's more seasoned. His wide receivers are making plays. His O-line's doing just enough. The running game is hit or miss, but when it's on, it's rolling. Miami then won six games in a row. Seven out of eight. Tannehill's rating climbs to 12th in the NFL. It's top five in the league during that eight-game stretch, and three of those games are ratings over 124. Ryan Tannehill is never going to be Tom Brady. He's never going to be Drew Brees. He's not going to be Dan Marino. But Jarvis Landry is never going to be Randy Moss or Jerry Rice, but we aren't in any kind of hurry to get rid of him. You don't just drop a guy because he's not the very best at his position. A lot of quarterbacks that are less than great have won championships, and Tannehill is more than less than great. He's a damn good football player. So that was my whole point on Ryan Tannehill, the kind of the course of his career, and how the Dolphins haven't surrounded him the best way they possibly can. So why would you get rid of a guy that has shown promise and played well and and been a very good player for you just because the team's results haven't been what you would like? Wouldn't you maybe try to do a little bit more investigation of the other 51 guys in the roster? I don't know. That's just me. So that's going to do it for today's podcast, guys. Sorry about getting off that on that tangent. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review. Check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Check out Locked On NFL Facebook page as well as at Locked On NFL on Twitter. And check out the LockedOnDolphins.com page. It's going to be a busy, busy next couple of weeks getting posts up to that site. So check that out. Be back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.